I take it everyone is sufficiently refilled? Oh, yes, Monty. With sherries all round. And laudanum. But what of the lovely story? What was it that had come into the night of Professor Perkins' bedroom? Was it human? Did it have legs? Was it a tiger? Was it wearing ladies' underwear? A tiger in ladies' underwear? Hmm. No. But I may consider such a novelty for a future story. However, if you will indulge me, I shall, for now, tell you instead what transpired the following morning at the Cock Inn. Professor Perkins found himself taking smoked coffee and freshly ground kippers, again opposite the rumbling, mustachioed form of Colonel Wildman. I see. Fascinating. Pass the kippers, will you? Oh, uh, of course. Uh, Sorry. Like a decent kipper, I do. So, a grand piano, you say? A grand piano, I say. Hmm. Dashed tricksy things, pianos, if you ask me. Particularly feral grands. So, what happened after the shutters banged open? Well, the wind whipped around with such unnatural force, it blew all the candles out at once and raced around the walls with such ferocity, I feared it would tear the very room to pieces. Thank God I didn't have to pay a deposit. I had to get the windows shut, but even though they were each just small casements, it almost felt as if I were pushing back a sturdy burglar. So strong was the pressure upon... Pushing back a what? A sturdy burglar. Sorry, I thought you said something else there. Carry on. Well, um, yes, and then the pressure on my fingers slackened all at once, and then the windows banged to and latched themselves, as as if of their own accord. Then what? Kipper? Perhaps later. Well, I relit the candles to see what damage had been done, but nothing was amiss. No glass even broken in the casements. But quickly as it had risen... As what had risen? The wind. I'm sorry. I thought you meant something else there. Carry on. Yes, quite. It, the wind, did not fall at once... On it went, moaning and rising, rushing past the house, at times rising to a cry so desolate that it might have made, well, fanciful people feel quite uncomfortable. Uh, Not that you are a a fanciful person, of course. No, uh, of course, but... um... But what? I couldn't sleep for hours last night, and not simply because of the noise, though it must have kept others awake, I dare say. I heard a near neighbour rustling in bed and tossing all night. Yeah, sorry about that. Filthy habit. We'll try and keep it down in future. Carry on. Yes. The point I am attempting to drive at... Pictures do come to the closed eyes of one trying to sleep, and often they are so little to one's taste, one must open one's eyes to disperse them. The picture which presented itself to me was continuous. When I opened my eyes, it went, but when I shut them once more, it framed itself afresh and acted out again, neither quicker nor slower than before. What did you see, Professor? I saw a long stretch of shore, 
intersected at short intervals by black groins running down into the water. Just like the scene outside, really, but deserted, mind. But at first, anyway. Then in the distance, a bobbing black object appeared. A moment more and it was a man running, jumping, clambering over the groins, and every second looking eagerly back. The nearer he came, the more obvious it was that he was not only anxious, but terribly frightened. Though his face was not to be distinguished, he, he was, moreover, almost at the end of his strength. On he came, each successive obstacle seemed to cause him more difficulty than the last. Will he get over the next one, I kept thinking, as it seemed a little higher than the others. But he did get over, and fell all in a heap on the other side the side from which I was apparently viewing, that is. He remained crouched under the groin as if unable to get up again, looking skyward in an attitude of painful anxiety. So far I, I couldn't see the reason for his fear, but then there began to be seen, far up the shore, a little flicker of something glinting, moving to and fro with great swiftness and irregularity. Rapidly growing larger, it too declared itself, a figure in sparkly, gaudy draperies, ill-defined, but apparently seated at a ghastly, floating, white, candelabra-festooned, grand piano. There was something about its motion which made me very unwilling to see it at close quarters. The piano would stop and the figure raise its arms and bow itself towards the sand, blow the most insincere of kisses wave effectively as if to an audience of gushing sycophants and then continue its course forward at a speed that was startling and terrifying the moment came when when the tawdry pursuer was hovering about from left to right only a few yards beyond the groin where the runner lay in hiding after two or three ineffectual scales hither and thither along its keyboard it came to a stop stood upright from its stool, with arms raised high, arms which seemed to terminate in, in frilly, lacy cuffs, and then it darted straight forward towards the groin, and... 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 that's when I had to always had to open my eyes. I see... Other than that, good night. Pretty reasonable, yeah. I think I'll have that kipper now. Before joining the Colonel for a second day of golf upon the links, Professor Perkins returned to his room to dress for the occasion. He was ruminating upon his selection of trouser when he was interrupted by the arrival of the chambermaids. Come! Begging your pardon, sir, but would you like any extra blankets on your bed, sir? Ah, thank you. If it's not too much, um, yes. Oh, it's not too much trouble at all, sir. Is it chastity? Not at all, Temperance. Yes, I think I should like one. A, a blanket, that is. It seems likely to turn rather colder. Oh, that it does, sir. And when one is on one's own, one feels it more. If I'm not being too bold as to say... No, no, not at all. Oh, dear me, but which bed should we put it on, sir? What? Well, why, that one, the, the one I slept in last night. Begging your pardon, sir, but what temperance means is you seem to have tried them both. 
Leastways, we had to make both of them up during breakfast. Really? How oh, very absurd. I, I certainly never touched the other except to lay some things on it. Did it actually seem to have been slept in? Oh, yes, sir. Why, all the sheets was crumpled and throwed about all ways, as if its occupant had been engaged in quite the most energetic bout of solar rumpy-pumpy we could imagine in all our born days. Begging your pardon, sir. Yes, begging your pardon, sir. <laughs> yes, well, I, I, I may have disordered it more than I thought when I unpacked my things. Disordered? I should say, sir. Why, it had the very look of a madam's bed within a knocking shop, which had been leapt upon for a night of knee-trembling by a whole division of muscular hussars who would not, begging your pardon, sir... Begging your pardon, sir... ...had their ends away for the whole duration of the Russo-Turkish War. Yes, well, I'm very sorry to have given you both the extra trouble, but I can assure you trouble, nothing... Trouble, oh, not a bit, sir. We do like our gentlemen to enjoy their stay with us at the cock. I wouldn't be as so bold as to speak for temperance here, but I would consider it a personal affront to our hospitality if sir didn't feel relaxed enough in our hands to drop his southern necessities and hammer away like a blacksmith on his anvil from dusk till dawn. Begging your pardon, sir. Yes, begging your pardon, sir. Look, I didn't... I mean, at least it wasn't as soiled as Colonel Wildman's bed. Oh, Lord, no, sir. Why... Chastity and I had to practically wring the sheets through the mangle before washing them. Such was the prodigious quantity of his... Yes, thank you. Mark my words, you will find none of that in this room. Now look here. I expect a friend of mine tomorrow, by the way, a gentleman from Cambridge to come. (laughs) To arrive, thank you. And occupy the other bed for a night or two. That will be all right, I take it. Oh, yes, to be sure. That doesn't bother us at all, sir. We are very broad-minded in Suffolk. And what two gentlemen want to do together behind locked doors in the privacy of their own rented chambers, why, I'm sure that's no concern of ours, sir. Well, there'll be nothing like that. Will that be all, sir? Yes! Thank you, sir. We'll leave you the blanket, sir, so you can decide for yourself which way you'd like to swing tonight. Oh, and... uh, Lovely piano, sir. Lovely piano. We'll French polish the legs, if you'd like, sir. <laughs> Infernal cheek. It's not even like Professor Rogers is pretty or anything. Unlike Tompkins. Or even Babcock, come to think of it. With the departure of the chambermaids... Perkins was able to set about putting the finishing touches to his golfing costume, and so in a mere three hours, stood gaily bedecked in plus four trousers, heterosexually balanced against a minus three shirt, quadratic socks, and a tie which functions as a whole negative integer. This ensemble was completed by a Norfolk jacket worn beneath an Ulster coat with Wessex tails and a double-breasted Tess of the D'Urbervilles. With all safely in place, Perkins adjusted his jeweled the obscure and set out to rendezvous with Colonel Wildman upon the links. Extraordinary wind we had last night. In my old home, we should have said someone had been tinkling for it. Should you indeed? Is there a superstition of that kind still current in your part of the country? I don't know about superstition, 
One has to be dashed careful about such things, I mean. Didn't your mother teach you never to tinkle into the wind? Well, I am... Um... Play a shot, will you, old boy? Yes, twixt music and meteorology, there's a damned dangerous intersection of the Venn diagram. For example, they believe in Denmark and Norway, as well as some very rude and primitive regions, Dorkshire, I believe, that a fellow can whistle up a wind. For... Good God! You certainly have never done this before. I do seem to have a bit of a knack, it appears. Don't get too puffed up. Yesterday was probably beginner's luck. As they say, lightning never... Oh, for God's sake! Is that, um, 20 shillings now? Uh, couldn't really say. Where were we? Oh, yes. In France, it is thought the accordion can, at the very least, summon a light breeze although that is more commonly true of the bagpipes and a fight when deployed outside of Scotland. And in the American Midwest, ballooning enthusiasts have known for centuries that all tornadoes are the work of the sousaphone, or witches. One of the two, anyway. Really? All I'm saying is, one has to take these things very seriously. I recall one monsoon season just outside Karachi having to hang the entire population of Native Village when a white woman was caught whistling in public. Good God, is that considered a sign of witchcraft? Worse, lesbianism. Lesbians? Indeed. It is a well-documented fact that lesbians are the only genus even approaching female physically able to produce a whistle. Thus, if one hears a woman whistling, it is vital one acts swiftly, decisively, and, most important, violently. Otherwise, it spreads like wildfire. One has to nip it in the bud like them wearing trousers. Once you get a single case of feminine pantalunary, well, you just have to raise the whole province to the ground and salt the earth. Yes. Obviously, I concur with the sentiment, but is all this strictly relevant? Of course! Look, returning, if I may, for a moment to the supposed correlation between music and the wind, it is clearly a coincidence. Now, take last night's wind. As it happens, I myself was tinkling. I played a tune and the wind seemed to come absolutely in answer to my call. However, that does not mean for you a moment... You don't mean you actually played that damnable piano? The one you dug up at the preceptory? Well, I... maybe a, a little bit. <laughs> well, in your place, I should be very careful about fingering a thing that had belonged to a set of papists, of whom, speaking generally, it might have been affirmed that you never knew what they might not have been up to. Did that make any sense? Barely. Are you planning on playing that shot or not? Oh, right, yes. Well, learn my lesson yesterday. Need to veer a tad more inland towards the clubhouse, I fancy, to avoid the clutches of that damned Catholic ocean. Technically, it's a sea. Semantics. I know a large body of papist water when I view one. Now, just a fraction of a degree inland and... Well, I think that is avoiding the sea... However, 
What the bloody hell's that doing there? I believe that's the clubhouse. Ah. Do you think we might take an early dinner back at the cock today? I think that could be a wise choice. Yes. And so, at the Colonel's suggestion, he and Perkins curtailed their round and headed back to their lodgings. However, just before they arrived at the cock, the Colonel was almost knocked from his feet by a small, tatty figure herring away from the inn with great alacrity. Hey, mind where you're going, lad! Good Lord, it's that boy from scene five. I don't care what scene he's from. Get him off my damn trousers. He's hanging on like a bloody limpet. What in the world is the matter with you, boy? Oh, I've I seen it wave at me out the window and I don't like the look of it, I do. Then stop looking at it. What window? Yes, pull yourself together, young shaver. What window? The front window of the hotel. Of the cock? W- what happened? Well... I and some other happy boy whelk catchers were in front of the cock, spending an afternoon on the grass, or possibly on the mushrooms, whichever was cheaper, I forget. We was pulling out our short pockets and playing a merry game of impersonate the elephant, when, after the other lads had been dragged off screaming by their mums, I turned to gather up my winnings in uncut dolly mixtures, and then that is when I saw it. Only then? Ah, I mean the thing in the front window. But, little spirit of East Anglian fishing communities, who was in the front window? It seemed to be a figure of some sort, but in white sparkly clobber with big old bouffant air on its bonds. I couldn't see its face, but it waved at me all unnatural-like, somewhat in the manner of a proper Jesse. I tell you, it weren't a right thing, not a right person. But the funny thing was, however nicely it waved, it came across as all smug and insincere. Like one of them Americans, what we've been hearing about. Good God. Which window did you see it in? Oh, the big first floor one on the left. That one. Hang on, that's my window. Somebody's been taking liberties in my damn room. Come on! Now, gentlemen, if we are able to stay calm for just a moment, perhaps I can define the exact nature of the complaint in hand. Uh, Professor, um, you're agitated because there was a boy in your room, yes? No, Miss Tort. The boy was outside the hotel. Ah, so... The professor is agitated because he'd like the boy in his room, yes? No. Because whilst one does try to think of us all of the cock as possessing a robustly modern approach to such matters, I do not think one can simply... No, no, the man was in my room, the boy was outside. Ah, so you would like a man in your room. Well, now we are voyaging into far more scrupulous and rigorously charted inlets. I'm sure there is something we can arrange. Yes'm! Oh, good God, no! Well, (laughs) maybe later. Look, what I'm seeking is only... probably a man. In that case, I think Baxter might absolutely fit the bill. Oh, for God's sakes. Let's just check the bally room. Oh, Oh, my giddy aunt. 
This never happened under the auspices of the late Mr. Tort Senior. <laughs> Nope, no, it's definitely still locked, just as I left it this morning. Well, unlock it then. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Sorry, sorry. Well, are we going in or are we just going to stand in the doorway all bally evening? I'm just bracing myself. Bracing yourself for what, Professor? I don't know. That's, that's why I'm bracing myself. Oh, oh dear. Right, I've had enough of this. If there's anyone or anything in here, corporeal or otherwise, I order you to stop whatever it is you're doing this instant, or I shall be jolly annoyed. Do you hear me? Oh, good. Seems like they've scarpered. What? Nothing, uh, nothing seems disturbed. Present company accepted. Oh, oh your bed, Professor. It if you don't mind me saying... Yes, uh, what a torturous bundle. Excuse me, that isn't my bed. I don't use that one, but... Uh, right. It does look as if someone has been playing tricks with it. But no, there must be a perfectly sensible explanation for all of this. I have it. I disordered the clothes last night when unpacking, and they haven't made it since. No. No, no, perhaps they came in to make it, and that boy saw them through the window, flapping the sheets around and such like, and then they were called away and locked the door after them, leaving it half done. Yes, I, I think that, that must be it. I can assure you, Professor, that is most certainly not how my maids are trained to leave a gentleman's bed. <laughs> Miss Tort, if your staff are in the habit of going into one's room during the day when one is out, I can only say that... Well, I don't approve of it at all. Now that was a thunderous anticlimax. <clears throat> Professor Perkins, more pertinently, my maids are now, not in the... Now, hang on a moment, Perkins. When we were teeing off today, you were going on like an old woman about the maids being pert with you for already having to make both beds up this morning. So if that's the case, what in God's name did you do to it before you went out? I... nothing! Besides which, as I was attempting to articulate, thank you, none of my staff is allowed to habitually carry a key to any of the guests' rooms. I keep the duplicates myself, as you can see. I personally open all the guests' rooms during breakfast for the girls to service and lock them myself afterwards. If a room needs to be serviced by a member of staff at any other time when a guest is checked in but currently off the premises, the key has to be signed out from me personally. By that member of staff, I have a small volume, you see, to record such matters. Would you care to examine my small volume? For I can assure you that nothing has been entered into it for quite a considerable time. No, no, that, that's fine. We, we, we believe you. Well, actually... Uh, Shut up. Sorry. As to the other matter to which you were alluding, I do hope one of my girls has not been inappropriate with you. Well, I... Oh, dear. Was it temperance or chastity? Both. Oh, oh golly. I must apologise, Professor. I, I shall bring them both up awfully short this evening, I can assure you. It's... Just the poor things are terribly sexually frustrated, you understand. 
but they have mastered such exquisite hospital corners I am loath to let them go. Perhaps I should separate them. You don't ever catch them whistling together, do you? Colonel? No, I was not even aware such a thing was physically possible for ladies. No, of course it isn't. And you keep thinking that, my dear. But you don't... Uh, you don't ever allow your maids to... to wear trousers, do you? Why, never! What a licentious Sodom and Gomorrah do you take us for? This isn't Alborough, Colonel. <laughs> Sorry, better safe than, you know, carry on. Well, if that's all, Professor, Colonel, I shall leave you two gentlemen alone in the company of your pianoforte. Thank you. I may require a little lie down now. I might even need to loosen my stays a fraction. Good evening. Women, eh? So... This the cause of all the trouble, then? I severely doubt it. That aside, though, what do you make of it? Well, it's a, 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 a piano, isn't it? Yes, but can you make anything of the inscription? No, I was always a bit of a duffer when it came to Chinese. It's Latin? Proves my point entirely. What do you mean to do with it? With the inscription? The piano. Oh, uh, well, when I get back to Cambridge, I shall submit it to some of the archaeologists or musicians there and see what they think of it. And very likely, if they think it worth having, I may present it to one of the museums. Or, failing that, I may just sell it for drugs money. <laughs> I'm not quite certain yet. Well, you may be right. All I know is, if it were mine, I should chuck it straight into the sea. It's no use talking, I'm well aware, but I inspect that with you it's a case of live and learn. Well, I hope live. You coming down to dinner? I thought I saw upside-down cake on the menu. No, I, uh, I don't think I shall. I, I've rather lost my appetite. Please yourself. I'll catch you in the morning, then. Oh, and... Uh, Straight into the sea. That's what I'd do. Perkins read for a number of hours and finally prepared for bed. By some unfortunate accident, there were neither blinds or curtains to the windows of the professor's room. The previous night he had thought little of this, but tonight... There seemed every prospect of a bright moon rising to shine directly on his bed and probably wake him later on. When he noticed this, he was a good deal annoyed, but with an ingenuity which I can only envy, Professor Perkins decided to address his situation. No curtains or curtain poles in your establishment, eh, Miss Tort? <laughs> you think such an omission could stand in the way of a cunning devil like old Perkins here, getting a good night's sleep? Of course not. Not a chance. No, no. We professors of ontography are made of sterner stuff. Nope. All I shall require to remedy this is a railway rug, some safety pins, a stick, an umbrella, 22 yards of string, three lengths of two-by-one planed birch timber, 48 screws, five self-tapping nails, a bench lathe, two live cockerels, a quart of dripping, a picture of Queen Victoria, and away I go. 
success, success, a construction of perfect balance, straight and true, stout and sturdy, worthy of Palladio himself. Now I'll just take this tiny pair of nail scissors and delicately snip away this one minuscule loose thread and... try keeping my eyes closed, I suppose. There was, in the end, some cloud to ameliorate the moonlight, and you may be surprised to hear, with the wind rising again, Perkins managed to enjoy a few glasses of peaceful sleep. Until, at some point, just after midnight perhaps, when he was awoken by noise, other on this occasion than the intermittent hammerings of the colonel's headboard against the adjoining wall and subsequent cries of, Geronimo! What? Perkins turned over sharply, and with his eyes open lay breathlessly listening. There had been a movement, he was sure, in the empty bed on the opposite side of the room. I shall have that damn thing moved, so help me. There must be rats or something playing about in it. No. No, it's quiet now. I'll leave it till the morning. Oh, for pity's sake, what is that? I can figure to myself something of the professor's bewilderment and horror... For I have, in a dream thirty years back, envisaged something similar. Although I confess that did also involve a giant lap-dancing aubergine and a roll-top desk named Terence, but I think you take my point. So, imagine how dreadful it was to Perkins to see, picked out in the moonlight, now once again seeping through the clouds, a figure suddenly sit up in what he had known was an empty bed. Oh, dear God. Perkins was out of his bed in one bound and made a dash toward the window, where lay the closest weapon. Cavaccio! Which, unfortunately, was a sock. Bugger! Forcing him to instead reach for the second closest weapon. A pitching niblick from his golfing bag. Aha! That's more like it. Stay back, you swine! This was, as it turned out, the worst thing Perkins could have done, because the personage in the empty billet, with a sudden smooth motion, slipped from its place of rest and took up a position with outspread arms between the two beds and in front of the door. Perkins was trapped. He watched it in a horrid perplexity as, with an affected coquettish flick of its rear draperies, the figure seated itself at the piano and... How dare you open my lid? You don't know where it's been! Somehow the idea of a recital from this figure was intolerable to Perkins. He could not have borne to listen to it. And as for it touching him, well, he would sooner dash himself through the window than have that happen. It sat, for the moment, in that band of dark shadow. He had not seen what its face was like. But then the moon came out fully from behind a cloud, and its pale light streamed through the window, completely illuminating for the first time what manner of thing this was. Oh, no! 
Perkins, who very much dislikes being questioned about it, did once describe something of it in my hearing, and I gather that what he chiefly remembers about it is a horrible, an intensely horrible, smiling face of crumpled linen. What expression he read upon it, he could not or would not tell, other than its simpering smugness went nigh to maddening him. But Perkins was not at leisure to watch it for long. With formidable quickness, it raised its arms above the keys and... You flashy bastard. At the end of one particularly ostentatious arpeggio, one corner of the phantom pianist's drapery swept across Perkins' face. Perkins staggered back with this cry of disgust, which seemed to finally alert the bedsheet Beethoven to his presence. Perkins was pressed hard up against the windows and almost half out of them. Stop it, stop it at once, you monster! Then the schmaltzy linen face thrust close into his own, and for the first time, it spoke to him. I want to finish tonight by playing this last song just for you. Oh, Jesus Christ, the insincerity of it. (laughs) At this, almost the last possible second, deliverance arrived, shortly preceded, as you will have guessed, with the most bristling of regimental moustaches. The bloody hell is going on? You there, you ivory-tinkling whoopsie! Get away from him! The colonel was just in time to see the dreadful group gathered about the piano, like some pleasant family sing-along, but rendered in the manner of Hieronymus Bosch after a plate of particularly enervating mushrooms. But then Wildman reached the figures, and only one was left. Perkins sank forward into the room in a faint, and before him, on the piano stool, lay only a tumbled heap of bedclothes. Colonel Wildman asked no questions, but busied himself in keeping everyone else out of the room and in getting Perkins back to his bed, and himself, wrapped in a rug and otherwise entirely naked, occupied the other bed for the rest of the night. Early on the next day, Professor Rogers arrived from Cambridge. You see? Here I am. I told you I was in the main story. Yes, but you don't even have any lines. Not even reported speech. Or a hat. Yes, but I'm bloody well here. Oh, be quiet, the lot of you. I have a narrative to wrap up in the next three minutes. Sorry, Sorry, Monty. Monty. Rogers was more welcome than he would have been a day before, and the three of them held a very long consultation in the professor's rooms. At the end of which, the three men left the hotel, awkwardly carrying a large object between them. They struggled down onto the Suffolk shingle. And when the tide was at its highest point... They employed their hastily purchased all-new Himmler-Krippin-Haig patented piano trebuchet to make this noise. (laughs) 
And good riddance. Right, who's for Battenberg? Exactly what explanation was patched up for Miss Tort's staff and visitors at the hotel, I must confess, I do not recollect. But the cock was cleared of the reputation of a troubled house. Well, that's excluding the additional services offered by temperance and chastity, but those, I fancy, are the tart pastries of a rather more continental breakfast. And there, in a nutshell, gentlemen, you have it. What a super ghost story, Monty. Yes, and it had lots of bed linen in it, too. <laughs> yes, well, I always aim to oblige. Just a pity there wasn't a tiger in ladies' clothes. But what might have happened if the colonel hadn't intervened when he did? I think there is not much question that Professor Perkins would either have fallen out of the window or else lost his wits entirely. But it is not so evident what more the creature that came in answer to the piano could have done than nauseate. There seemed to be absolutely nothing material about it, save the bedclothes of which it had made itself a body, a sprinkling of cheap rhinestones, and a lingering impression of colonial self-satisfaction. The colonel, who remembered a not very dissimilar occurrence in Vegas in 78, was of opinion that if Perkins had closed with it, it could really have done very little harm, and that its power was merely that of frightening and producing overly sentimental arrangements of Chopin. The whole thing, Wildman said, served to confirm his low opinion of the Church of Rome and pianists in general. Dashed pianists, eh? Dashed, Dashed pianists! Indeed. Well, there is really nothing more to tell, but as you well may imagine, the professor's views on certain points are less clear-cut than they used to be. Suffice to say, since that day, Perkins has never again ventured back to Felixstoft, most certainly not upon the site of the ruined preceptory of the Knights Tinkler of the Order of St. Liberace of the Immaculate Misconception. Perkins' nerves, too, have suffered. He cannot even now see a piano sitting in a room quite unmoved, and the spectacle of a candelabra in a parlour on a winter's evening has cost him more than one sleepless night. Ah, ah it would appear Christmas Day has arrived. Merry Christmas, Christmas, Monty. Merry Christmas, Monty. Monty. Merry Christmas. And a, a Merry Christmas to you all, my dear boys. So that, I fear, is the end of my storytelling. Until next Christmas Eve, that is. Hurrah! 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 In the meantime, um, who's for rolling around on the floor, ragging and grabbing at each other's vitals? Oh, me, Monty. Oh, yes, me too. Ragging all round. <laughs> and so, our story ends with Professor Montague Rhodes' gym. Once again, happily writhing around semi-naked on the carpet, interfering with his young, pretty, drunken students. And if that doesn't sum up the true spirit of Christmas, well, I really don't know what my defense counsel will have to play with. Good night! 
Oh, tinkle and I'll come to you, my lad, was a shameless piece of paper-thin tosh, lovingly ripped off from M.R. James' far superior original, poorly directed and filled with tatty jokes and killer pianos by D.A. Gooding. The performance featured Damien Bell, Darren Gooding and Dave Hughes. Music by Tina Gooding, with additional music, effects and sound editing by Darren Tansley. This is an I Hear Voices Theatre Company production.